You are about to experience the result of hard work and dedication from the City of Champions, Cleveland's own, 90th's finest. Self-made, hard-working entrepreneurs, unequivocally raw, no holds barred. This is Epiphany Media. You are about to experience the result of hard work and dedication from the City of Champions, Cleveland's own, 90th's finest. Self-made, hard-working entrepreneurs, unequivocally raw, no holds barred. This is Epiphany Media. So we, are, we already got people joining us on uh, the weird platforms where... Uh, we won't be able to see names and stuff, but we will work it out. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Epiphany Media, the Epiphany Media Podcast. Uh, the Epiphany Media Talking Heads Podcast. The, yeah. Is that our new name now? <laughs> the Talking Heads. Yeah, I like that. Um, I'm Emmanuel. That's Byron, of course. And today we got a guest. Hold on one second. <laughs> Forgive us, it's a football game going on at the same time, and people are in the chat talking about the football game already. So, so it's going, it's going to be great. <laughs> uh, so today we got um, Kellen Fluk. Fluke. Fluke. No, no, no. Fluke. Eager, right? Exactly. Fluke Eager. Okay. Fluke Eager. <laughs> uh, you want to talk about somebody that that uh, a jack of all trades? So we were just talking about uh, um, how he he is a magician, a, a musician, and, and produces music. 
Uh, he, he said he has uh, 13 books and six more on the way, I believe. Yes, sir. Wow. Um, uh, he's uh, I, I watched some of his uh, um, uh, some kind of conferences. I'm not sure if you were being I, I don't know if it's like part of the, the leadership mentor thing or if you were just speaking at uh, someone else's uh, conference or whatever. But uh, I, a, a man of many, many talents uh, and we're glad to have him. And uh, as you guys see by the title and uh, floating behind me, as well as the banner, uh, we want to talk about suicide prevention uh, and awareness. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Friday was suicide or was uh, uh, worldwide suicide prevention and awareness day. Um, I, I know here in America uh, and I'm assuming in other parts of the world, potentially, I, I really don't know. Uh, but like September 11th, which was yesterday, is a lot as a sensitive topic for a lot of people, and a lot of people get uh, really down and depressed around this time of year. Uh, you know, remembering what happened 20 years ago now, which is kind of crazy to say that. Um, so I, I felt like we felt like it would be a good a good time to uh, to talk about this this type of thing and and you know maybe help some people who need it. Uh, encourage people to get the help that they need if they need it, uh, or to just have a conversation and, and maybe get some of those thoughts and feelings out. And uh, yeah, I, uh, I I feel bad. I put your intro in with the entire intro of the show. We didn't get a, a a nice chance to let people welcome you to the to the program. Thank you. I'm welcome. I feel very welcome to the program, and the topic is very relevant, and timely. I. Uh, been through that myself. I mean, you, you said, you know, multi-talented and all this sort of thing. One of the things I uh, experienced myself was decades of struggling with depression. And when I grew up in that time, it's uh, something you don't talk about. It's like stigma. You suck. You handle your own problems. Nobody talks about that. I even went to a doctor once. And this was recently, like 10 years ago. And, and this is after I started doing motivational stuff and was on the path of healing after 40 years of talking to nobody. She said, how can you have depression? You're a motivational speaker. You know, that whole context of, you know, somebody like Robin Williams, all successful and then kills himself. And, you know, that sort of thing happens. It pops up front news for a minute and then everybody jumps up and down and then, you know, slides back into yesterday's news. And so. It's very important, timely topic, especially with the pandemic and all the crap going on, causing people to question the opportunity, the future, their value, what's available, et cetera, et cetera. So big deal. It's a uh, depression, anxiety, personal worth, opportunity, all those things are something that's front and center for clients that I work with in my coaching practice and people in general. Let me ask you this, though. You said it was going on. Well, you said that you were, you know, you've been going through this uh, for 40 years. And you said 10 years ago, you decided to get help finally. Yes. Um. So within that 40 years, like, how did you deal with it? Like, I did. What, you didn't. Uh, so, so this is going to sound really, I'm, I'm reaching for something. So just a sec. Uh, I was raised in a very strict disciplinary sort of home. Today, the kind of discipline that was used would be felony child abuse, and I would have been removed from the home. Uh, 
The thing I took away from that and the beginning of this suppression was my early teens from 13 to 53. So that's about the 40 years. How, how I dealt with it, my own way, everybody does whatever they do. But I was trying for that 40 years to prove principally to my mom, who was the inflictor of that sort of stuff, uh, in, you know, best of intent, she wanted me to be good and everything, but her idea of getting me there was force and violence. I tried to prove that I was okay. And I tried to do it by getting good jobs, by making money. And I thought the more I did, you know, someday, somewhere, somehow I'd get the, you're okay now, you're good enough, you, you, you did it. I never got it. So what ended up happening is I burned through relationships. I was married and divorced three times. I ended up in and out of rehab. I was had long stints of addictions of different kinds. So how did I deal with it? I'll say very poorly. Uh, I managed to be a functioning addict and hold down high profile jobs. When I wrote this book, Tightrope of Depression, my journey from darkness, despair and death to light, love and life, I waited a year to publish it. I wrote it in 2014 and waited till the end of, finished in 15, waited till the end of 16 to let it out because I was scared to death that the people who knew me as this high profile, high powered executive, blah, 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 would read the truth and go like, what? That kind of thing, because like I was in secret rehabs that nobody, you know, all that crap stuff you right. see in movies. Yeah, that guy. Well, that's I dealt with very poorly. That's that's interesting. Uh, I, and from our experience, like we, we've had uh, comedians on and, and like uh, philanthropists and people who are, you know, gen generally upbeat and happy and positive, yet they seem to uh, all kind of struggle uh, or or have struggled at some point in time with uh, some sort of depression, some sort of uh, uh, trauma, how we were talking about even before the show started. Um, that seems to be, I don't want to say the one thing, but seem to be a thing that kind of ties all of these uh, hyper positive people together. Like you mentioned uh, Robin Williams, uh, uh, another like uh, uh, Marilyn Monroe, and all these people who deemed successful, uh, yet they... You know, whether, whether it be money or fame or or uh, uh, admiration, uh, but yet they are all kind of linked about something inside that you know is not allowing them to um, uh, to be free, so to speak. I started a group. I was just mentioned this before we started. I started a group yesterday helping three people write books, which is one of the things I do in my coaching practice. And the fellow, two ladies and a, a guy in there, and the fellow told me, I asked them all like I do in the beginning. It was a three-hour workshop yesterday afternoon to kick it off. And I asked them about, you know, the reasons for doing what they were doing, writing the book, what they hoped to accomplish, who they wanted to help with it, and what was that about, you know. None of them were fiction. It was all like stories about themselves and the kinds of things you're talking about. And so the guy told me this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then I told him a little bit about my history, stuff that none of them knew and everything. And then when I went back around asking him, because I was teaching about how to tell stories by modeling storytelling as I told stories to him, right? And immediately his response was, oh, well, I didn't tell you anything about, you know, the emotional, the behind the scenes. And this is the key here. 
it wasn't okay for him to do that until I did. Like he didn't right. feel like it was okay to bleed on the floor or do whatever, it, you know, that wasn't okay until we said, oh, it's okay. And I did that by doing, by telling stuff and by being open and vulnerable. And so like I spent 40 years afraid thinking I'm the problem. Everything's my fault. I can't get help because I'm a, I'm a douchebag for having all these problems. It's my fault because I suck. And if I was worth my salt, I'm just living a lie because I make all this money and I have these jobs, blah, blah, blah. But really, I'm a pig. And so if anybody knew who I really am, then they wouldn't like me and all that stuff. And so it's not OK to talk about is is one of the problems and it's getting better than it used to be 20 30 40 years ago when i was in the middle of all of it but right. it sure as hell wasn't okay to talk about it then right did you feel better though when, once you talked to someone about it it was just the beginning because to start to talk i didn't it didn't overcome in a heart or a, all at once the right feelings and the pile of baggage it was just like the beginning so you had to start somewhere right absolutely and, 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 and i went to a shrink i went to a shrink to start with i started telling him stuff and i was even sort of trying to control the way the conversations went because i was afraid to just be open and vulnerable so the relief and the change came slowly I uh, that's something that we do here or that we like to do here is we talk about um, like male masculinity, being able to uh, kind of, I guess, break down these stigmas of uh, of guys specifically not being able to talk about certain things or show feelings and emotions. Uh, we talk about like black males specifically not being able to do those things or, or not even having the uh, the necessary outlets sometimes as you know women have. Um, so that's something that we definitely talk about uh, heavily on this show, uh, just to let people know that it is okay to talk about it. Like, you know, e even if no one else is, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay to tell your male friends that you love them. It's okay, it's okay to, to express yourself, you know, in a way that, um, you know, where you might feel like uh, people are going to judge you or, oh, he's soft or, or uh, uh, this and that. Like, that's okay. That, that's, that's fine. You know that, that that that's okay that they think that way, but you know, for your own sake, uh, to be able to get that out, have an outlet, uh, whatever it may be for for each person is different, uh, but whatever, uh, just not to hold it in like the stigma has been for you know the last hundred years or so. Totally, I totally uh, agree with you. Now I don't know if I answered your question on how I dealt with it. I dealt with it poorly. I stumbled through. I made mistakes. I hid them. I lied. I learned how to lie and hide and <clears throat> to sort of manage my way through, burn down relationships, uh, indulge in a lot of self-sabotage, create things, and then believe, well, I'm not supposed to have this much success, so I must need to burn this down kind of feeling. And so I made a lot of money. I lost a lot of money. I, I have 10 children. Some of them still won't talk to me. So I have a lot of opportunity and work to do there, but I view it as opportunity. And you talked about positivity in the relationship between that and perhaps having gone through the valley of the shadow of death, so to speak. 
And that is true. I think the thing that breeds the positivity is two things. As long as I'm breathing, I have opportunity. I'm optimistic because something can change. The future is not a projection of the past. And it is unwritten and blank. So as long as I'm breathing and I got up today, more stuff can happen that I didn't expect. Right. That I didn't plan and it might be good. So that's one reason for the positivity. And the other thing is I, I finally got rid of the idea that I have no control over my life, that somehow it is a result of all the crap going on around me, which is how I lived for a long time. I am at the mercy of fill in the blank, the government, the economy, my family, my upbringing, this, that, and the other. And when I finally realized that was crap, then I had the opportunity to take control for myself. So between learning, learning that I had both the opportunity and responsibility to con take control of my own life. And second, that as long as I'm breathing, I have opportunity where I think is the connection for me to positive future outcomes. I guess it, like, it, it is interesting because you had so much success, but your, uh, you know, the, the situation with your mom um, at the beginning didn't hinder you from being successful, you know, but still you felt like you didn't deserve it because of your childhood, which is, you, but you know what? I can't lie. I have like, I had similar, uh, like similar thoughts. Like, oh, I don't deserve this because I, I just don't feel, I, don't, I just don't feel worthy because this other person in my life doesn't have this. And now I have it. Now I feel bad for having it, even though I work hard for it. You know, so I must so, go ahead. Go ahead, my bad. No, I was just gonna say I must definitely understand where you're coming from uh, from that perspective, for sure. So, and I'm on the other side of uh, I, I've never had like any uh, suicidal depressional thoughts, uh, you know, to my knowledge, you know, um, or, or any harm or hurting myself, and it's been primarily inspired by. Uh, the feeling that like you know my family needs me you know what i'm saying like if, if i was if I, I i can't even entertain the thought because if i wasn't here what would my family do you know um so I, and, and i know and i know we talked about a lot, a lot of the stuff come up from like you said our upbringing and, and and things of that which you know can can vary drastically uh i know when i when i look at suicide from from afar i'll say because i don't know anybody personally to my knowledge, and you know, that's not something everybody talks about. Have uh, you know uh, attempted or anything? Um, so I guess looking at it from afar, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, I, like I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what. I guess what it what it stems from. Like, is it just not a, a, a like, like you said, a feeling of not being worthy? Because I, I, I know people who grew up in stressful situations or abusive homes as, as, as kids or just, you know, uh, you know, sometimes inner city could just be growing up, could be, you know, extremely tough environment, et cetera. Uh, and yet and, and this could be just that hard male, that hard male exterior about not showing emotions and stuff like that. Um, but the, to. To take the suicide route, I, I, growing up, I'll say I was always like, "Man, that's a that's a cop out," or you know, that person was 
was mentally weak and couldn't get over, you know, whatever uh, stuff that they're dealing with when there are people who are going through worse stuff, you know, that's from the outside that you see. Um, so I, I've grown a little bit from that, but it's still, uh, I, I, I guess where, where it stems from always seems to bewilder me, even to this day. Let me share something with you. I attempted suicide twice. One time, and I'll tell you, one of the things that I did in, when, I, when I wrote this book, I decided I wanted to do something different besides write a book. So because I'm a musician, I wrote an album of music, 11 songs that tell the stories. And the name of the album is The Name of the Black. And I, I named it that for the reason that you're talking about. There, there comes a time when, and, and again, you this whole dance takes place in your head. It's true. It's absolutely true. It takes place in your head. But there comes a time when you receive enough and you believe the input that you, you come to the place where you look in the mirror and you say, you've run out of excuses for what you do. You've run out of excuses for who you are. You, you can't lie anymore. You can't hide. And you look at yourself in the mirror and the only thing you can feel and see is they're right. Every problem, every bad thing, every rotten thing has gone in my kid's life, my exes, all those things, they're right. It's me. There's no more excuse. There's no more out. And it gets to a place that there are no words for the feeling. You, the hate of self, the self-loathing is so great. There's no more. There's no ability to describe it. And so I gave that feeling a name. And the name of that is the name of the black because of the way that your soul feels empty, hollow, vanished, no color, nothing. So when that came to me, I got on the internet. My favorite drug of choice at the time was mostly cocaine, but I looked up my body weight and I calculated the amount of cocaine one would have to ingest to kill me. And then I looked up uh, how much alcohol it would take to kill me from alcohol poisoning. And then I realized and looked up the fact that when you mix cocaine and alcohol in the body, it creates cocaethylene, which is longer lasting and more lethal than either one of them individually. And I consumed intentionally enough cocaine and enough alcohol that either one of them should have killed me. So it was a calculated, intentional attempt to, to be done because of the name of the black. It was simply, there was no out, there was nowhere to face. I couldn't talk to anybody anymore. And that spawned the songs and you know, all of that. But that was a reason. Uh, hopelessness got to that intensity. Why I didn't die, I don't know. I know later I had a bunch of divine intervention and everything that helped set me on a path to get me out of this mode and completely change things so much so that later, like a few months after that, when it had reached that period, I went from $3,000 a week cocaine and I was making so much money that that didn't matter. 3,000 bucks a week to nothing in one day, straight up cold Turkey, all done. We're finished new life. Walk away from all of it and walk away from the jobs and walk away from everything and start all over. So that is a reason somebody does. That's that happened. And that's what, I, you know, you get the point of despair where there's nothing you believe there's nothing left. It's not true. 
Right. You believe it to the point where you see no way out. So, uh, like, and, and it's so interesting because you put it away uh, that I haven't, I don't know, like, uh, we talk about the arts and stuff. And so you, you're able to put it in a way where, you know, maybe some people are, are not or it just doesn't resonate with me. But that's that's a very uh, descriptive way of looking at it for me. Yeah, I heard a, I heard a counselor say, she said that, um, you know, once somebody decides to go through with the act of committing suicide, like there's nothing anyone can do to stop them because they have it made up in their mind. This is what they're going to do. So no matter what you say, you can't stop them. You know what I mean? I had the interesting experience a few years ago to get a phone call from someone I did not know. This is after I was you know, on my recovery and doing well. And recovery doesn't happen at once. I got sober in one day, but it didn't fix my depression and my attitude of my own feelings. That took some time and a lot of work. But anyway, I was having a conversation with this guy and I was in Phoenix and he was in New York City. And I never even found out how he got my phone number. I did find out eventually how we, he got my name because it was through a mutual acquaintance. But anyway, we were talking for a while and he was at the verge of suicide and I did everything that I could. Talked to him for a couple of hours and encouraged him to go do some other stuff and et cetera, et cetera. And I found out two weeks later that he had killed himself. And I, you know, I went through the whole dance of wondering if I had done enough and if I, but because I wasn't in that state of mind anymore myself, I didn't blame myself or anything like that. But I, I, you know, I thought, I could hear it in his voice. He didn't threaten it at all, but he was just talking about a situation and his kids and his wife or ex-wife or soon to be ex-wife or whatever it was. I don't remember all the details now, but, and I did what I could at the time, but it's, there's a level of despair, Byron, that you're talking about where you're, you're the lenses that you see yourself and your life through are so, so colored, so distorted, I guess is a better word that you can't, you just can't see anymore. So interesting, man. So, so in your opinion, and and uh, so, so in your line of work, I know I know you do, um, like I said, motivational speaking and things of that sort. Have have you done? Uh, I, I know you wrote books, but like, have you have you spoken at suicide prevention awareness events in, in, in that a more traditional sense? A little bit. I haven't done anywhere near as much as I would like to. I spoke at a virtual summit, three of them in the last year. One was suicide attempt survivors. One was uh, recovering alcoholics. One was recovering depression. Something uh, there was this, there's this woman that I know that organizes these summits. They're worldwide and there's 20 to 30 speakers. And she's the one that also was the person to put that book together that I referred to that I just finished a chapter in. Uh, and I don't usually do the chapter kind of books where everybody writes a chapter, but I did it for her because she, the, of the topic. It was overcoming heart blocks, and I asked her what that meant. She meant she mentioned trauma, the trauma that people have that prevent them from being who they could be, and you know, all that sort of stuff. So I have a little bit, uh, but certainly not to the extent that I could or would. Specifically, for me the suicide prevention is far more important to go from more than just don't do that. Uh, 
to okay so do what instead like what is that out you you got to that place of of falling off the cliff staring into what i call the name of the the name of the black that hopeless helpless situation but it's like okay now what where do you go what do you do how do you not do that how do you begin to disconnect those inputs and those feelings how do you begin to take the power away from the external people places inputs that have that have led you driven you accompanied you escorted you whatever it is to that place you got to do something different or nothing's going to change I I I uh I haven't had any bouts with addiction or anything, but I I find I have family members that have, and I find that to be kind of the, the most crucial part is um, when you replace that thing that you're so used to doing, you have to replace it with something. Like you have to fill that that hole with something. Hopefully, something positive, and not you know going back to something negative. But it's like I, I agree with you 100. Like it has to be. If not this, then what? Like it has to be a and a, a, a what after that. Absolutely. Hey, so you know, I, I understand your situation, but what about the people who, you know, they get fired from their job and they come home, kill family, then kill themselves? Like, what type of thinking is that, though? I'm sorry. Ask that again, Byron. I'm not sure I understood the question. Um, I said I understand your situation. You know, that's more clear cut to me. But the people who, you know, they get fired from their job, same day they go home and kill their family and then kill themselves. Like, how did they jump from so quickly into they just don't want to live anymore that fast? You know, I, I don't know. I can't answer that question in the abstract. What I do know is, at least in my experience, and I'm not pretending to know everything by any stretch, is that that isn't all there is. Them getting fired from the job is a last straw. There is a series, a string, a history, a pattern of other stuff that may be hidden, that may be pretended away, that may be lied about like forever. Like I was, I would have called myself a pathological liar. I lied about everything. And so someone who knew me would have wondered what happened in that same way. They would have said, why? And the answer is you didn't know what was going on. You had, and I would be speaking to them, you had no idea what was going on behind the scenes. Right. You had no idea. So when we see somebody go wacko and do something either to others or to themselves, I would, in my experience, there's a string of other things that we don't know because it's rare that someone is actually happy and productive and then suddenly goes and explodes. They might look it, they might pretend it. Someone might say, yeah, but they were such a nice guy. And the truth is, uh, yeah, and you don't know X, Y, Z, A, B, C, and the rest Absolutely. of the story. That's why it's so interesting to me. Like, like Robin Williams is, is somebody that just stands out as somebody who, you know, was, was the ultimate jokester, trickster for such a long time, you know, uh, 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 you know, award winners and, and you know, every he's a legend on everybody's list, etc. 
Uh, but then you, you know, clearly he must have been fighting something, and who knows how long he had been, you know, fighting whatever inside, and then he finally lost the battle with it or whatever. Um, how, the human mind is so intriguing to me in that way that you can you can live two completely different lives at the same time. You you could be dead and alive at the same time in the same brain. You know, it's it's so intriguing to me how how people are able to sustain both. Even uh, like you said, uh, being a functioning addict, like how, like being able to sustain both lifestyles is 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 an incredible feat of the power of the mind to me. Well, it is, and it's certainly not something I would brag about having a master's degree in or something, you know, a high level of proficiency at fooling everybody, but it, it's a skill that you develop like anything else. And what finally tears it apart is someone who's in the movie with you, uh, a girl, a boy, a, you know, a, a wife, a husband stops playing the role. I'm done. I won't do this. I won't be part of this. I won't witness this or a tolerant employer. I had a guy who worked for me in one of the jobs that I had. I, I had lots of people work for me over the years, but this one fellow, I knew he'd had his wife had passed away some years before. And since that time, he was lonely and alone and on and off, he'd had a drinking problem. And we knew it. We tr made sure that it didn't interfere very much. He didn't have a job that interfaced with people. And sometimes we knew that he came to work uh, iffy and et cetera, et cetera. So we didn't go out and, and fire him, which we could have done, or right. tried to force him into rehab to do something with his age and with the situation he was in. But if we had, uh, I don't know what would have happened. He's gone now, and he has since moved on, and he's passed away. But during the time he worked for me, we knew it. And I talked to the others about it and, you know, we assessed what effect it had on his job performance and decided we were going to live with it at the time because we had concerns that he didn't have any support structure and it might be the thing that did, the, oh, he's fine, except not really, right. that didn't know, right? He held this job down all these years and et cetera, et cetera. And so he did it and we to that degree, enabled that. So as an enabler, if you say that, we allowed that to go on, not having, feeling like we didn't have the tools to really help him in a way that was valuable. We knew the source of his aloneness, of his loneliness. We knew what had happened and he hadn't been able to cope with his wife's passing very well. Mm. And it had gradually gotten worse. And so what happens is things go on appearing okay as long as all the puzzle pieces stay in place. Right. Somebody or some puzzle piece says, I'm done for any reason. The puzzle falls apart and it doesn't fall apart gently. Usually it falls apart in a giant mess on the floor. And, you know, he might have gone and done something. You know, we don't know. Right. But I certainly was. And that wasn't the only time in my whole career that I was, you know, in some place in that puzzle, either not in charge in that place. I was in charge and could have done something. In other places, I knew about people over there that were whatever, right? 
and and so it's always a quite well you know is it my place am i really helping them if i go xyz i've had clients who've had kids and i've had uh, i had one client as a coach <clears throat> I, I was coaching him about his business uh he he ran a a flooring and cabinet business and he he was doing well he did well and he but he wanted help with certain aspects of his business so he came to me as a business coach he was a client for a couple of years and we helped him i helped him do good you know get his accounts receivable in order renegotiate stuff with the suppliers get better his business got going on better etc cetera, etc cetera. and then it turned out he was having trouble uh, with his relationship and so we worked on that for a while etc cetera, etc cetera. and then one day after a couple of years he came to me and he said can you help my son and i knew he had some kids but i hadn't ever met any of them and i said i don't know what is What's wrong with your son? What does he what's what does he need help with? Well, it turns out he'd been a heroin addict for two years. And he left college, dropped out after his junior year. He'd been on the honors program and uh something happened. I don't know if it was a conflict between his parents or whatever. His demons came up and so dropped out of the honors program after his junior year, gone, had a girlfriend, he had a kid now, and he'd been a heroin addict for two years. And I said, Well, does he want help? Well, yeah. So anyway, we had some long conversations with him. I brought him over, and because I was an ex-addict, I talked to him differently than somebody else might. But anyway, we got him on a path to go, and he went to a 90-day residential rehab, and he gave me all everything he had, including all of his secret stashes, and that turned out really well. And he went out, and he's never used since, and he got a job, and yay, yippee, you know, happy ending. Right. Okay. Another client I had who had a son, happened to be another guy, was on the street and she kept enabling it by giving him money because he'd say, oh, I'm going to die if you don't. Da, da, da. And so I helped her make a choice to, you know, what would have been considered tough love, stop enabling the, the situation. And I don't know where that went. You know, and so there's different approach. I knew for a while and he did okay for a little while, but today I can't tell you the one I know and the other one I, I don't know because that's been some years. But I, I don't even pretend to know what the last straws are or what will be the successful outcomes or not. You know, Byron, in terms of your question, what makes somebody suddenly snap? It's a pile of other stuff. Right. I've never known a situation that went from zero to 100, really. Really, right. <laughs> I I think uh, you're, you're um, uh, dealing with stuff like that at work. I think that's a, a you see a lot of companies now have like those um, uh, hotlines. It's not maybe not the suicide prevention, but just if you need to talk to somebody about something or or help getting your finances in order, just some kind of coaching that you can kind of call just to uh, you know alleviate some kind of stressor that you got going on in your life. Um, uh, you see some companies offer, you know, uh, uh, you know, three or four, um, uh, counseling sessions throughout the year that, you know, it's company paid for. So, you know, if you need those resources, then, you know, they're, they're more than glad to kind of help in that way. Um, I do feel like you are right kind of being in a peculiar situation where, you know, is it my, is it my place to really say something? Is it not being at work? I mean, of course, if it's your friend or, or somebody like that, then of course I would hope you would you know do what's best for them. But uh, something like that can be so personal, 
and you know it could always go the other way like maybe they're offended and now you know that they that send them further off the deep end um work always seemed like a peculiar place uh to step in or not step in uh but i think having those resources uh helped tremendously that something i didn't you know see 10 years ago uh in as many uh workplaces as i do now so well i completely No, you got it. You got it. I was just, I was just talking about the outlet. That's all. Yeah, you know, I was uh, a funny thing happened the other day. I did those songs uh, that, that for that book, and I decided they're done now. And I finished them all, and they're produced and recorded and stuff. And I decided to do a concert to both tell the stories and to perform the songs. Uh, I did. I did the first one uh, September first, which was like two weeks ago, and I'm going to do some more this year. But one of the it was a weird thing. So I had invited. It was on Zoom, and so I had a bunch of people came, and it was doing good. And we got about a third of the way, maybe halfway through the show, and all of a sudden, uh, a whole bunch of people jumped on the Zoom, like only not real people. It was like a denial of service hack, right? And so all of a sudden there were 10, 20, 30, 40 windows popped up, even though we had it set for, you know, we had to let them in somehow they'd hacked their way around that. And that it was screaming loud noise and really like weird images, some of them violence, some of them porn, some, you know, weird stuff like that vendetta guy's face. And then with these really loud soundtracks, just trashed the whole thing. So we had to shut the concert down. Wow. And, you know, I've wondered, like, here I'm doing this stuff. And, and there was no charge for the concert. I was just doing it to, you know, help and raise awareness and talk about that, tell the stories and whatever. And then this thing happened. And so you think about, like, what would drive that thing? Nobody that I knew at that time had ever even heard of Zoom, a Zoom room being hacked like that. Right. For any reason, let alone what, and maybe you know more about that or have heard about that. I had certainly never seen anything like that. And I've been using Zoom for coaching for years, like way before the pandemic. I was Zooming before anybody knew what it was. But anyway, that happened like, like what, 10 days ago. And it was like, bah, in the face. You know? Holy crap. So we'll do it again. But we're going to use uh, one of these platforms. I, I think we're using Restreams to the StreamYard. But it was just a weird thing that happened, like, in the middle of that, right? That, that is strange. I, I, I've heard of, uh, it's, it's like, classrooms being hacked in, like, the beginning, middle of the pandemic and stuff, but never, like, uh, something like that. That that sounds crazy. <laughs> Especially come out of nowhere. That sounds insane. Well, I, I, it turns out that I posted the link right before the concert on my Facebook page in case anybody wanted to join. And the idea that something like that would happen never crossed my mind. So I guess I have to be a little more careful and do some other stuff next time. But uh, Internet always teaches lessons, man. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> we go through it almost every week. It's, it's always something. Um, so I, I do want to uh, turn towards... Uh, more positive stuff and, and stuff that you've seen in your speaking engagements. Uh, but I want to get to uh, Angel's comments. She said that she feels like uh, it comes down to a lack of coping skills. And I just wanted your opinion on that. Cause I, I kind of feel similarly um, where you, 
I don't know if coping skills, because that sounds too narrow to me, but uh, just a lack of some sort of preparedness, whether it's from your environment or how you were raised in, in your household or whatever it is, uh, I kind of feel like that's a, a basis of it, I suppose. And I just want to get your thoughts on that. Well, I would agree with her. Hey, let's define coping skills broadly. Let's pretend that it's anything that you need to get through life in a positive and productive way. And that might come from a book you read. It might come from a conference you went to. It might come from, you know, grandma that used to teach you when you went to visit, you know, say certain things. I got a friend that tells me his greatest mentor was his grandpa. He was, he said he was a little bit rowdy as a kid and I don't know the details of his growing up, but they sent him off to grandpa a lot. And so, you know, he, he got his life, some life lessons and skills from being there. And that, you know, is harder and harder these days. Families are further apart. Uh, there's less structures around us. Schools certainly don't teach those things. And, and I know personally now, gratefully, in the positive vein that you're talking about, somebody I met the other day on a platform called Lunch Club, which is just a virtual get-to-know-people platform that's run by AI, artificial intelligence. You put in some stuff and they match you just to meet people all around the world. I met a guy who's working on getting a program in high schools to teach, I'll call them coping skills because she did, that come right out of skills that you used to use use in therapy. So if somebody's busted, like I was, and you go and they do certain things, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, all these big long words, but there's certain skills that they teach you. I know somebody now who's working to get some of that learning, that coping taught ahead of time. In other words, let's just teach this kind of process, discernment, thinking, rational thinking, and critical decision-making and how to do that uh, let's do that before it's busted, before somebody's busted and needs, quote, right. therapy to get fixed. Let's teach it as coping skills to get along in life and make decisions and do stuff before we're talking people off the ledge. And so I totally agree. And in the positive way, that's the whole point of the work that I do. I'm a coach. My life right now is dedicated to helping people in that positive way, understand that there are new choices and to help whether they're busted or not. It's not I don't work necessarily in addiction programs or suicide prevention programs. I work with anyone who's committed to ending their sort of lifelong journey with mediocrity. I mean, at different times in our lives, we all feel like we could do more, be more. Hmm. I love that. Like these guys that I just started with write books. Like they want to do something. They want to write a book to help whoever it is, somebody with something, right? And so that's absolutely all that I do in my coaching practice is helping those who have decided that they want more. Like get this one lady who's a prof, professor at the University of Notre Dame, and she wants to quit that job because she doesn't feel like it presents her enough opportunity to do good. Wow. So I'm working with her to create a business, a bigger business. She already has some work in uh, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion space because of the stuff that's happened in the last couple of years. And so I'm really excited about her work getting there. And she doesn't feel like she has enough opportunity uh, as a business professor at where she's teaching now. And so she wants to create a company to do more. And she is in the process of creating growth there. I, that's so cool, man. Being a coach and being able to see the the, the positive uh, 
uh, even if you took a positive person and made them more positive or gave them that confidence, that boost, uh, give them something that you could send them off with, like that they could, uh, I mean, I, I've seen some of your testimonials that you got on your website and, and I've, I've heard, uh, you know, some of the things. And 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 like I said, I even watched, I wish I could remember what it's called. Um, uh, you had like a whole intro, you came in, I think it gotta be on your website. And uh, he's like, hey, you know, well, since y'all here, y'all mind if I practice? I can't remember what it's called. But anyway, I watched the whole thing, and uh, it was just uh, <laughs> it, it was Oh, that one. Yeah, that was a conference I was at, and it was – I was pretending, of course. I yeah, was yeah. at a speech, That's and great. I was joking with the organizer starting, what? There's got to be some mistake. And so I yeah. talked about don't die with your music inside. Yeah. I he, walked, he, yeah. he walked in the room like, people – I didn't know it's gonna be people here, like of course acting, but it was, it was uh, but it ended up being, yeah, don't die with some music inside, and that uh, like to be able to send people off with that level of positivity, that's something that. Uh, so not only are, are you doing good and putting good out, but that has to make you feel great inside. I feel like I owe God, the world, as much as I can give between now and the last day I draw breath. That's a choice that I have made. I don't feel obligated. It's not like I used to have to prove. I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Nobody does. We just live with the story that we do. I have made a choice to do every bit of positive, uplifting, good, and growth that I can do until I no longer draw breath. That's why I'm in the middle of six books. One of them is a book called Forgiveness, A Journey of Courage to a Place of Peace and Power. Because I learned that if I choose not to forgive, I'm carrying the rocks. If I carry the grudge, somebody said it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Like, you know, I'm carrying the poison. I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm deleting that baggage. I'm emptying that basket. The, the rocks come out of my backpack. Why? Because I said so. Because I don't want to carry him anymore. Because I want to lift and I want to bless. And that's exactly what I do every day, all day long from first breath to last breath. And I know that sounds weird, but that's true. Where, where do you find the energy? <laughs> I, I, how are you uh, writing music and doing concerts and writing chapters and other people books and you were in the middle of six books yourself? Where do you find the, the energy and, and that's opportunity to do this stuff, man? Conferences, everything. Well, and that's, yeah, I'll tell you how. I'll tell you how. Some of this is going to make real clear and easy sense, and some of it's going to sound a little weird. But I'll tell you anyway, because you ask. If I, if you, if any of us are going to do a good job at anything, we have to prepare. So we just, you know, the last few weeks we saw the Olympics. Somebody going to the Olympics to prepare. You know, they prepared a lot before they hit that pool. Right. They did a lot of swimming, a lot of running, or a lot of the Paralympics. Either one, those just finished a few days ago. Those guys, too, you know, my jaw drops every time I see some of the people overcome those obstacles and doing that stuff. Okay, so it's not weird for us to sit here and say, wow, they prepared, they practice a lot, et cetera, et cetera. You know what we don't do? We don't practice being good at life. We don't practice being the best we can every single day. So that's what I do. I have a, what I call a morning ritual and it's two hours long. 
And I don't start my first conversation, my first meeting, my first day, or any, anything in the day until I've done that preparation. And that preparation is an intentional process, which I'll share with you in a minute. But the whole point of it is to prepare me to be that best person I can be today, to be the gold medalist, if you will, at who I'm trying to be in the world. So how I get to energy is I get up every single day and I do that preparation and I adjust it to make it more effective and see how it works from time to time. And here's what it is. For me, I use the acronym SPEM, S-P-E-M, which stands for spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental. And so I intentionally prepare me as a being spiritually. That might be meditation. It might be prayer. It might be both. It might be reading sacred literature, whatever it is. But it's to reaffirm and live into the connection that we all feel, sometimes stronger and sometimes weaker with the greater presence. Physical is a is a stuff that I do. Even if I'm going to go work out or play sports or do something later, I do some exercise on the floor. I did martial arts a lot in my life. So for me, it's that. But it could be yoga. It can be stretching. It can be whatever you want. But it's to, to prepare and pay honor to the body, the container that I have to hold the spirit that I am. The E stands for emotional, and that includes all my relationships. So I'll get my phone and I'll think of five or six people that I want to connect with, that I want to nurture a relationship with, or I want to repair something that's broken. And I'll reach out to them and send a message of love, encouragement, positivity, kindness on purpose. And the M is mental. I've got, and you can't see my desk, I've got 20 books I'm in the middle of reading. And so I'll read two or three or four chapters in a book. Doesn't matter which one. And it doesn't have necessarily to do with business, all kinds of stuff, from quantum physics to who cares? But it's to keep my mind active. And so by exercising the spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental part of life every day, and I do it deeply, so it takes a couple hours. But when I teach clients this, I start with 410, so 40 minutes, 10, 10, 10, 10. And we work on creating a ritual so that they can prepare themselves to be who, not who I think they should be, who, who they want to be. Right. Who do you want to be? Okay. And they tell me and I say, fine, how does that person show up? I want to be the best podcast host. I want to be, okay. What would prepare you to be that? Let's figure out how to do that. And then every week we talk, how's your ritual going? What are you doing? Which part are you doing well at? Which part are you avoiding? Why are you avoiding? What's the story behind that avoidance? Like, what are you telling yourself instead? I mean, you wanted to do it. It's not me. Right. You don't want to change the goal right. into something you do want to so that you can keep your word to yourself. Screw everybody else. Keep your word to yourself first. So that's exactly where I get the energy. I go find it, cultivate it, build it. Build it. Yeah, make it right. Create it. I love it. That's so cool, man. And and, and you're 100 you're 100 right. You practice for a lot of stuff. You do a lot of training for a lot of stuff, but not about living your life. Like how to be the best at your life. Like no one does that. Like no one wakes up with a mental like you know what? How can I build? this life of mine to be the best of course you want you want stuff or you want to be the best at things but how do you just have the best life that's a great way that's pretty that's that's pretty good <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty good 
practice. Like, yeah, you practice for everything else, but nobody ever said to you practice at, you know, you can practice at life. Man. Hey, but you know what? If I don't work, if I don't work out, like, I don't just don't feel right. You know, I can't get through my day, you know, with all the stuff I have to do if I don't work out. And I, I feel like trash if I don't work out. Like the past few weeks, I worked out twice and I've just been feeling tired, you know, no energy to do what I got to do. Well, you just answered Emmanuel's question then. Yeah, you did. (laughs) How do you have that energy? Well, you figure out what gives you energy and you do that. You figure out what gives you insight and intuition and inspiration and you do that. You figure out what strengthens your relationships with whoever you want them strengthened with and you do that. You figure out what makes your body good and it's for you, it's working out. So you do that. And when you don't, you go, dang, I know I didn't do that because you feel it. So that's exactly, exactly 100% right. I'm about to. I'm leaving my jobs, man. I'm getting out of here. Going to do something to make me happier. That's crazy. It's a. It's. It's so simplistic, yet uh, you know, without being told that or or um, being told to you know just be aware of these things, then you don't even think about it. Like, but that's simplistic. Like, you know, what gives you energy, so do that. And when you don't do it, you won't have energy. Pretty simple, right? But if you're not told. And the same, uh, you know, uh, some people need to hear stuff in a certain way for them to catch it. And, uh, and you know, I, I can I can see you providing that for uh, so many people. That's a great way. What you just explained is uh, incredibly simple, yet if I didn't hear it in that way, then uh, it wouldn't make sense to me. You're right. Tell you a funny story. The beginning of the pandemic a year and a half ago, Somebody, you know, when the shutdowns were just starting in March of 20 till a year, like a year and a half ago, uh, somebody called my wife and said, uh, does Kellen have a podcast? Because they knew I'd done motivational speaking and, you know, we're kind of and she said, uh, yeah. And then she came downstairs and said, we have a podcast. And so in March of 2020, I started the daily podcast just for that reason, to be full of help and love and motivation, 15 minutes long, called Your Ultimate Life. And I just recorded episode 482 yesterday. Same thing. I, I, you know, it's not a business thing. It's to do just what you said. I'm going to give as much energy, motivation, love, ultimate encouragement as I possibly can. And so now I have 482 episodes of a podcast. Same reason. Every day, 15 minutes. Just when I think it can't be more, like you, you pull out uh, uh, energy uh, restore and 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 and, <laughs> and line something else. So that's that's amazing, man. That's 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 so amazing. Um, let me see. We uh, let me catch up with some of the comments. Uh, just, just as we were talking, people were saying stuff, and uh, let's just see if we can run through these. Let's see. Uh, uh, Regina, who has since she left the show, and, uh, I think she had to go for today, but she said, I was trying to be uh, so pleasing, I made myself crazy to where I was ready to snap. I realized I can't please everyone, I need to be happy for myself. I'm so much better now. Um, and, and Regina, somebody had shared with the show some of the trauma she went through uh, in her childhood, uh, you know, w- with her mom. 
um, and, and growing up uh, before. Um, and uh, just from the stuff that he's, you know, shared, like shared with us, um, we, like I said, we haven't talked about suicide or, or anything like that, but um, that background, like Byron was saying earlier, that that's a clear cut background of why people would be, uh, you know, suicidal, different types of abuse and stuff. Your camera's going crazy, dude. Yeah, I don't know. I'm about to leave my back because I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, it just manifests, you know, different, uh, different way, uh, different for different people. Uh, well, I love what you said about she said to have to make herself happy. Here's the thing: sometimes we're taught that if we take care of ourselves, we're somehow being selfish; that we should not do that, and that is completely wrong. There's a difference between caring for yourself and being self-indulgent where all you do is satisfy every whim and every wish that you want and all that stuff. Caring for yourself is critical and important, or you can't care for anybody else very well. Right. It's like someone that says, well, I don't feel good. I work sometimes with coaches who are, I'm training them and they say, well, you know, I love helping people, but I have a hard time charging money to coach people. And the answer is, okay, well, good luck making a business out of that. You know, you're not going to stay in business very long. And so caring for your own needs at an appropriate level, sure, there's a level where you can be self-indulgent, but caring for yourself and taking care of yourself is critical. And so, Regina, if you listen to this back, I 100%, you must care for yourself. You must have your cup full and then serve the heck out of everybody around you. But do it from the saucer. Like if your cup is full, it runs over on the saucer. So serve from the extra, the overflow on the saucer. I got a friend who lives in New York City. He's a coach and he says all that all the time, serving from the saucer. And I love that analogy because if you keep your cup full, then you got stuff to serve with and you never run out. Ah, that, now that's a, uh, when, when somebody says something, uh, profound or I want to call it profound, but say something that like that everyone can resonate with. I feel like I got a good grip of the audience and you know Byron 20 some years now. Uh that we call it like dropping gems. Like that's a gem right there. Cause you always hear uh you know you can't pour from an empty cup, but never serve from the saucer. Like <laughs> like serve from the overflow. Keep your cup full. That's 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 a gem right there. I, I don't know what else to call it. That's a that's dropping gems right there, man. <laughs> well, good. And there's nothing. In fact, it's it's right to serve yourself to fi to fill your own cup. That's what that whole two hour ritual I do in the morning is: is to make me the best that I can be. And it isn't so I get to feel cool. It's so that I can do a good job serving those that I you know. Um, I've have committed to serve. I mean, like nobody makes me take a client or do anything else. I spent an hour and plus writing a long email to the people that were in that class yesterday, encouraging them. And they've already paid me. So it's not like I'm getting more money. They're part of the class. They bought it. But I want them to feel good about what they're doing, about their own mission, about who they're going to serve, about the book they're writing, about who might read it, about the difference it might make. So I spent a bunch of time 
reflecting back to them what we'd done yesterday and making sure they knew that I was behind them and that I was going to help them and that I was going to write another book along with them. And so I said, I'll do a book during this 90 days too, so that I would be going, sharing the journey with them. And does that mean I got more stuff to do? Yes. So what? I'll figure it out. Hey, so do you feel that um, two hour ritual um, helps you every day? Let's say if you didn't do it, you know, because I know you won't miss a, <laughs> I know you won't miss a day, but let's say hypothetically, if you did miss it, do you think it is just like, like you wouldn't be able to complete? I used to, I used to be spotty, Byron, when I was learning to do this. I rebelled against it. I didn't want to get up in time. It means I have to get up two and a half, three hours before my first meeting. It means a lot of stuff. So there were days when I didn't. I didn't do it. I didn't do it well. I skimped. I pretended. I faked different pieces. And I had exactly the same experience, <clears throat> excuse me, that you described. I didn't feel good. I didn't feel prepared. I didn't feel connected. I didn't feel inspired. I didn't feel like I'd done what I could. And I started noticing a correlation between the days that I did it and the days that I didn't and how I performed and what happened. So I don't miss it now. I live in Edmonton, Alberta, and it's the frozen north, you know, so it's minus 40 up here sometimes. Every winter there's a week of minus 40, right? And it's not all winter, but just a week. I would no sooner run outside in the snow naked in minus 40 than I would miss my morning ritual now. But it isn't, wasn't like that always. I had to work, adjust it, change it, play with it, forgive myself, fall on my face, make excuses, get back up, recommit. And the only driver was me because I want that. Right. So good, man. Um, yeah. It sucked when I don't do it and I don't miss it now, but I used to. <laughs> so, Yeah. Let me see. Uh, Regina said, uh, "Oh, this was in response to me when I said it's a cop out." I was younger, I guess. Uh, she said, "It isn't a cop out. Uh, it's hard to cope in your brain. You feel the people around you are better off without you. No one will miss or need you." Uh, I then got a tiny glimmer of light uh, that changed my mind. Um, so yeah, and Regina, go back and watch the show. So I'm sure she'll uh, she'll she'll come back to uh, to our response and stuff, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I not, I, I just felt like, like Angel said earlier that it was like a, a, a lack of coping skills and, you know, growing up, that's all I had. Like that, that was all, that was the basis of me growing up was how to cope with, uh, you know, the challenges of, of, you know, some utilities being off or the challenges of, uh, you know, just, uh, being black in America sometimes, like just those coping skills that that you deal with. Like um, me and Byron, we talk all the time about how we like, grew up in one area of town, but we kind of both went to school in like super suburbs or whatever. And just the contrast, seeing that every day, the contrast and kind of living in poverty and then going to like the luxury of schooling and stuff, um, just how I could, I don't know how, how uh, I guess we were both able to to use those the, the skills of you know people having stuff and and you not having stuff just at a young age. This is kind of how we grew up. Um, so yeah, it's just lack of coping is how I felt about it. Like Angel said, well, you know that's something that has troubled me a lot. I I don't I don't pretend to fully. I I've had lots of clients 
that were people of color. I ran a recording studio for a long time, and I guess probably 75% of my clients were people in from South Phoenix. I had it in Phoenix for a long time in South Phoenix. It was mostly black folks, and I had lots of them come in the studio and doing all kinds of different things. But I don't and didn't understand the pain, the, the, the struggle, the inequities, the the thing and I, that, that, that you, both of you may obviously have, have dealt with and gone through. And so one of the deals I had with one of my clients was that I was coaching who was black. I made a deal with him that I would pay them a certain amount of money and they would coach me on that experience. Every experience they had where they experienced the kinds of things that are part of our growing up crap in America and the wrong things that have happened. So that was something that was on my mind a lot. And I asked for that. And so I paid some somebody to coach me so that I could at least begin to have a better appreciation and to tell me everything that they experienced day to day, week to week. Like, what are the things that you're seeing, feeling, hearing? I learned a lot doing that and gained a certainly not a perfect by any stretch, but a much better appreciation and understanding, empathy, feeling, love, desire for change, all that stuff, because I asked for that experience and I wanted it. I wanted to know. I wanted to understand because I knew I didn't. And so that was something I did for my own growth because I wanted to feel and understand that better than I thought I did. No, that, that's, that's, we talk about it all the time, man, about uh, whether it's different races or different classes, different uh, people from different countries having like a conversation mm-hmm. is what, no, <laughs> no, you had to pay for yours. So, you know, it's a little bit different than most people, but yes, having a conversation, spend, spending time with uh, uh, different people that for your, for your own growth, you know what I'm saying? Maybe not necessarily you know, you feel like you change the world, but just for yourself so you can understand uh, just the differences. And, and, you know, that education alone is worth the time or <laughs> the money to, uh, to to get those experiences. I, I think it's super important. I couldn't agree more. In fact, the same fellow that did the cup from the surf and the saucer thing right after the George Floyd incident, he started a group where there were conversations about those kinds of things for several weeks. And he had 50 to hundred people in a zoom room. And because we're friends, he, he's, he happens to be a, a fellow of color. He lives in New York, but he invited me to be part of that. And that was really valuable. And I think it was him doing that that sparked my choice to then go find a situation where I could, and I wanted to pay for it. And the reason I wanted to pay for it is I wanted them to feel like it wasn't, doing me a favor. I wanted, I wanted to be taught in the most rigorous way possible so I could learn the most in the shortest period of time. So I said, okay, so I want you to teach me this. I want you to help me understand as best you can so that I can see things as they are or closer to as they are. Well, if anybody listening to this later, you need a coach. I am available. Uh, and uh, we could do a very clean in PC or we can go very raw and descriptive, <laughs> uh, but I'm available. <laughs> Epiphany Media is available. <laughs> um, 
All right, so the rest of the comments, they're just saying, you know, great show. Thanks for the information. Um, Angel did ask, what's the name of your podcast again? And then somebody else said that they needed a morning routine. I know you said you're 10, 10, 10. Um, now, I don't know if you've recorded that. If that is on the podcast, you can give out that episode, and I'll, I'll link it later so people can listen to it. The name of the podcast is Your Ultimate Life and my name, Your Ultimate Life with Kellen Flukiger, and you'll see my beautiful smiling face on different forms on the cover of all the podcasts, right? So on all the podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Deezer, uh, you know, Amazon, blah, 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 blah. So uh, I... Yeah, I'm glad, Angel. Glad you enjoyed it. Anyway, so that's the name of the podcast, Your Ultimate Life. Uh, and it's 15 minutes a day, and it's all about how to I define it. An ultimate life I define, and I understand everybody's going to define it differently, is having a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that we create by serving others with our divine gifts. So that's how I define the ultimate life. And there are several episodes about creating a morning ritual. There are several, many episodes. It's only 15 minutes. So, and because I'm every day, I took it apart and talked about it in many and presented many different ways that you could do it and different ideas about how to create it. The important thing isn't to get a formula and go do that. The important thing is to say, I'm going to do that. Boom. And then go fool around with it until you find one that makes you feel connected, energized, empowered. And if there's some piece of it, you just hate find, figure out in yourself why you hate why you hate it? Is it something you don't really want to do? Is it some piece? Because it all needs to come from you. Like it starts with you declaring who you want to be. I've said, I want to be a person who empowers, lifts, and blesses everybody I meet. So then I say, okay, what do I need to do to be that guy? Every morning, I need to be the best that I can be of that guy. Well, it's what I said I want to do. If I said I wanted to be something else, and the preparation would be different. Would be different. That's so good, man. <laughs> hey, it's crazy how you turn that black void into like a shiny, bright light of, of positivity. Um, especially as soon as you wake up in the morning, you know you have a you like it's like you train you trained your mind to think differently as soon as you wake up. So I think that has a, that had a big impact. I might, I'm gonna have to use it. I'm using it. Working right now, I'm using it. <laughs> I, and you're right. I, I'm glad you said that, Byron. You've caught on to something really important. Your mind is trainable. So I, in, I used to wake up thinking about whatever I thought up. I now wake up, and the first thing that occurs to me is who am I going to serve today? What am I grateful for? And I'm in the attitude of gratitude. Gee, that rhymes and prayer and all that stuff at the instant I wake up and it's not magic and it's not because I got some weird antenna in my left ear. It's training. It is a choice to do that and do it and do it. And so guess what? Your, your body and your mind complies. You wake up the way you train yourself to wake up. You're exactly hundred million percent. Right. That's so crazy. It's not, I love shows like this where uh, I, I consider I, I consider myself to be smart, well well rounded. I'll say not necessarily smart, but well rounded. But I love shows where I can like, man, okay, I can take this this and this away, uh, uh, a, a different perspective. Um, I, I love it, man. I, I, I 
But y'all don't know about you, but I love shows like this. Yeah, it's different from it's different from what we you know usually do. But it's kind of hard to get people to come on, you know, and share their experiences. So for you to be able to um, um, come on and talk about you know things like this in your life, I must definitely commend you. Well, I'm happy to do it. My commitment. The person I've chosen to be is is the most uplifting, encouraging. I think of coaching as being in the people encouragement business. You know, that's why I put this picture up here of this dude meditating on some hilltop. You know, it. Uh, people ask how I get as much done as I do, and the answer is I spend a couple hours meditating. And they say, well, if you spend a couple hours meditating, how do you have that time? The answer <laughs> that practice right there creates time. You, you do things faster, you do them better. There's less mistakes. There's less fooling around with decisions. I, I can spend two hours of meditating and get four hours back every day. I know it doesn't make sense and the math doesn't work, but it's a fact. No, but if you had the energy and, and the mental resources to be able to pull from that, then you have infinite amount of time as long as you do the stuff that you have to do for yourself. Like, uh, like even the adage that you can't pour from an empty cup, but if you keep yourself full if in the morning, wake up on a, on a half a cup or three-fourths of a cup, but you manage to, to fill your cup every single morning, so you always have something to pour from, whatever your overflow is, then it creates that extra that you need, uh, the extra two hours or four hours that you need to, to get stuff done. That's that's an amazing point of view. It's an amazing way to look at it. So what I would really love is if you guys, whatever you take from this, would try some of it and then tell me what happens. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely no, no. tell me what happens i would be really curious try something try it for a week try it for two weeks tell me what happens i'm done with that and that goes for you guys in the audience as well uh people that listen to this later uh be sure to do it and you know you guys know how to contact us and let, let us know and uh kellen you, you're always welcome back uh i definitely want you to plug all of your stuff um, I don't know how many of the six books you want to talk about. Uh, I was trying to get all the uh, the uh, information from your assistant so I can list it on the screen, but uh, that went if down. If anyone's interested, all you have to do is put my name in on Amazon. Just make sure you spell it right, because otherwise you won't find me. You can Google my name, and there's only two Kellen Flukigers in the world of eight billion, so you're not going to confuse me with somebody else. The other one's my oldest son, so. <laughs> If you put my name in on Amazon, you'll see the podcasts or on Apple, uh, Your Ultimate Life. I have a YouTube channel called Ultimate Life Formula, but it's a single message. And it is about you today, no matter where you are, have the opportunity to create, give back, and live your ultimate life. It, it doesn't depend on outside happiness is a choice from within you. I could have nothing, you know, I, I, and I've been through times when I had so much money, I didn't know what to do with it. I've been through times when I've been broke and couldn't, was worried about rent and all the rest. And the, the quantity of things that I had was not a lever on the scale of happiness. I thought it used to be when I was growing up, I thought getting up in the company, making all this money, doing all that stuff. And when I had it, that's when I was the most miserable. So it's not, I'm not saying it's not fun to have stuff. Okay. It's fun to have stuff. Right. Yeah. I like, I had a nice microphone here. Yay. It's fun to have stuff, but it, it's not, 
happiness. You can never get enough of what you don't need because what you don't need won't satisfy you. Just going to write that that down. (laughs) Hey, one last question. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about. What what albums did you work? Because you mentioned off air that you worked on like uh, four. What did you say? Four different groups albums or something? What I, did I've you work? Many many groups albums. I said something about charting number one on Billboard. I was in a very large vocal group called Millennial Choirs and Orchestras, and that was in from two thousand nine to sixteen. Well, even last year, so the, for ten years, and four albums that they put out. They're in the classical genre, and it's large choir stuff. They charted number one on Billboard, so I was in a member of a choir that had that distinction. Plus, I did a bunch of stuff with AM Records, which is a label that, like Janet Jackson and the old days and stuff, used to work on when I ran the studio in Phoenix. So people from Hollywood came over and mm-hmm. old songs, like I had nothing new, recent, but. Uh, and there was an old song called Finally, which was an R&B hit for a long time. That gal was in the studio and, you know, that kind of stuff. The producer that did that is a friend of mine, and he worked in the studio a lot. So I not recent hits. I haven't been trying to do that, except the choir that I was in is very recent, just a few, in the last few years. Byron's going to come to you and ask you to produce his records from now on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so good. Uh Kellen, we're gonna uh, we're gonna end the show, and then we're gonna hey. come right back to you. Uh, but I do want to thank you for sure, uh, a million percent for coming on and talking with us and, and dropping gems, as we put it. As we, <laughs> um, everybody in the in the crowd and the audience, they uh, they definitely appreciate you coming on, um, and I, and I hope that they really go and, and check you guys out. Um, uh, as you guys know, this is our suicide prevention show, so I, I hope that if you guys need help or want to talk to uh, somebody that you guys take advantage of some of these um, resources that are out here. Um, Google got literally everything you need. And uh, Kelly, we just want to thank you for joining us, man. I really appreciate Welcome. it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> All right, so great, great show. Another great show in the book. Oh, man. Uh, so we don't want to hold you guys. We don't want to have Kellen on hold for long, but I want to thank all of you guys for joining us live. People that listen to the podcast later, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Uh, be sure to share this uh, for us and all of your groups and people who may need it. Um, definitely be sure to check out all the Kellen resources, uh, all, all of his stuff. <laughs> uh, if you took something away from this, definitely try to introduce some of it to your life. And if you are... Um, you know, if you're able to 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 use it, you know, definitely let us know how it work out because we want to be able to report back and and just see how how it all goes. Um, like he said, even he started out spotty with his morning routine, and you know, then he got it together. Now he wouldn't dare miss it. And uh, you know, uh, training your brain to do stuff like that is important. Uh, so we appreciate you guys for joining us. For sure. And uh, also, if you fill in any other feelings. Um... Um, like you're going down that, uh, you know, are you seeing this black? You're going through that, going towards that black hole, you know, dial that 1-800 number. What is it? 1-800-273-TALK. Well, definitely dial that number, you know, and, and try to get some help. Other than that, remember to like, share, and subscribe. And sharing is going to be very important in the next two weeks. So most definitely share.
But um, yeah, it's been a great, great show. And um, all I got to say is remember to own your own. <laughs> uh, looking forward to seeing you guys on Wednesday for politics. Uh, looking forward to the next episode of Let's Get Takeout on Fridays. And of course, we will see you guys next week for, you know, this thing we do right here. Another new episode of uh, the Pivoting Media Podcast. So you guys stay safe out there. Salute to the city as always. And uh, we will see you guys soon.